this morning, and uh, hopefully the technology is going to work, and it should do. Uh, Scott was climbing around on the ladders a while ago, plugging in things for me and doing all sorts of wonderful stuff, and uh, he got a mouldy talented pastor there. <laughs> and uh, God bless you, Scott. Thanks for all that effort you put in for me, and uh, I really appreciate it. So... Um, Our topic is not that. <laughs> Sorry about this. Supposed to start from the beginning. Go back to the beginning. So it's great to be with you. It's great to God bless scripture teachers. Sorry, instructors. Um, instructors. Yes. So um, because uh, yes, young people in schools are given everything else but. Um, I don't know what's going on here. Um, that's it. So, our topic this morning, uh, being a male, I can only do one thing at a time. So, uh, no wires today, that's great. That's what Scott was doing for me. So, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just ask that the words that are spoken and the ears that hear them might glorify Jesus and lift him up today. And because we've been together that he might be lifted up in our country. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our topic this morning is creation, a key to the gospel. And if it wasn't for the fact that this is about the gospel, I wouldn't be involved with it. Okay, this is not just about rubidium, strontium, dating and all that sort of stuff, although that comes into it if you really want to go there. But um, it's about the authority of God's word. And uh, ultimately, today in our country... Uh, people don't respect the Bible as the word of God. And we might go back into the history of that and see what's happened. When I was a child in the 1950s, just about everybody believed in God, the creator, and who believed more or less what the Bible says about creation, but not the case anymore. People believed in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But there's an alternative view today which pervades society and you cannot escape it. It's not just in the schools, it's not just in biology lessons. It's everywhere. It's even in the women's magazines. You know, No Idea magazine? I mean, New Idea magazine. <laughs> you know, how men are promiscuous because we came from the apes. You go to a national park and there's a sign there which says what? God created everything? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't, isn't God's wonderful creation? Look at it. Is that what it says in the national park sign? Nature documentary, David Rabbitborough, I mean Attenborough, and, <laughs> and all those guys, and uh, life on earth. And it, it's, it, look at the wonderful creation God's made. Is that what they say? What do they say? This is what they say. This is summarised by the uh, head of UNESCO for many years, Julian Huxley. He said, in the evolutionary pattern of thought, there's no longer either need or room for the supernatural. The earth was not created it evolved. So do all animals and plants that inhabit it, including our human cells, mind and soul, as well as brain and body. So do religion. So we invented God. God didn't invent us. This is the view that pervades society today and it's taught from our kids, even in uh, things like the ABC's children's program. They talk about dinosaurs. In what context? God created them? No, no, they evolved. Millions of years ago. Kids read the Bible and it says God created everything in six days. So that's rubbish. 
And by and large, our churches are burying their heads in the sand and not doing anything about it. Thankfully, not this church, but many churches doing nothing about it. And our kids are walking away. The atheists know what this is about. They know that if they can teach kids evolution, you'll make atheists. In fact, this guy, an atheist in the United States, William Provine, Cornell University, he was an atheist, but he's no longer an atheist because he died. <laughs> Which is rather sad, not funny. Sorry about that. Well, I made a joke of it, but it's not really funny because where is he? Where is he for eternity? And so the gospel is really important. But he said this. He said, evolution is the greatest engine of atheism ever invented. That's why the atheists are at the forefront of pushing this down the throats of your kids at schools. I don't mean every teacher that teaches that is an atheist. Many have been hoodwinked through the universities that this is the way it is. And uh, when a lie becomes believed by people, it becomes a pernicious lie because people teach it with conviction that it's true. And everybody believes it. That's what's happened. So this has had grave consequences, and Pastor Scott touched upon that with where our country's going. People are losing sight of the fact that our country's built on the Bible, the Word of God. But that's rapidly being lost. And this secularism is taking over. What's secularism? Is that just a neutral territory that, you know, everybody's... No, and secularism is atheism. Get rid of God. God has got no place in a public square. That's secularism. And secularism was actually invented by an atheist in the 1850s by the name of George Holyoke because the term atheism had an obnoxious ring about it for most people. So he said, we need a new term to define what we're trying to do here. So he invented the term secular in terms of what people believe about God. And he, he was very successful, wasn't he? People think today that a secular state is a good thing. It's all fair to everybody. No, no, it's not fair. It's atheism. And so we, we today, you know, when I was a kid in the 1950s, the public schools were Christian schools. Uh, before that time, between the First and Second World Wars, way before my time, <laughs> you, you went to school, public school, and the reader they used to teach reading was full of Bible passages. About 80% of the reader was Bible passages. So you didn't have to have religious instruction. You got it learning to read. Can you believe that? Any school reader today have even one verse from the Bible? No. So God bless scripture instructors, religious education instructors. They've got a mission field and it's critical but, you know, what, do they t what are they allowed to teach? You've got to be careful about what you say in school, haven't you? Because otherwise they get, you get you know, kicked out. And so they're oftentimes restricted in what they can say. You can't go in and say, you know, evolution is a load of baloney. You've got to be a bit more subtle than that. But uh, you need to get kids to realise that there's evidence that God created things like the Bible talks about. You know, 
There's so much to cover, we can't cover everything this morning. I'm just going to cover a few things. But uh, we have a website to cover all the questions that I won't be answering. And uh, this is just the front page a few days ago. And there's an article there about Margaret Sanger. Now, yesterday I walked in the March for Life. Anybody there in the March for Life? A number of people, God bless you. It was pretty hot, wasn't it? But thankfully, the heat didn't keep everybody away. There were a couple of thousand people marched. It was great to see Christians from all across the spectrum there marching for life. But this Margaret Sanger, she, was, she founded Planned Parenthood in the United States. She was a rabid atheist, an evolutionist, a Darwinist, and she set out, in fact, to get rid of the inferior people by forming Planned Parenthood to stop black people breeding. That's what she formed it for. And so the abortion holocaust in the United States has actually been mostly or, or uh, targeted, really, at black people, funded by the government. Thankfully, perhaps not much longer. Praise God for that. And so this, Margaret, so this is what I'm saying, that the, the creation-evolution issue isn't just about science. It's about everything that matters. It's about life. And so this is just one example of the many articles. There's over 11,000 articles on the website. There's video material. You don't read. There's stacks of videos you can watch. There's one-minute videos. I mean, if someone sends you a one-hour video, are you going to watch it? Probably not. Someone sends you a one-minute video, are you going to watch it? Probably. There's 100 one-minute videos. Have a look at them and just share them with people. Send them around the place. You never know what might happen. People get saved. Creation.com, really difficult to remember, isn't it? In fact, if you Google creation, it'll come up. The top few searches on Google, this website, creation.com. And uh, because people are busy, and there's new material six days out of seven, and everybody gets busy and misses stuff, and you might have missed this. So we put out a, an email and news about once a week, once every ten days, just to give you a heads up about some of the more important articles that were on the website. And you can sign up for the uh, infobites, the, webs, the uh, email news, there's a form that looks like this. You can fill it in. I don't suppose there's any Bob Noogle wants here, are there? <laughs> uh, and uh, it doesn't work without your email address. The postcode, why do we want that? So we can tell you about stuff that's happening in your area, maybe a seminar or something that's coming up. And so we've got some volunteers here today. You might have met some of them. as uh, Laurel and Wendy. You coming forward? Anybody else? Bob coming forward? I'll just introduce you. And uh, also Debbie. You'd know Debbie. She's a member of the church here. So... Um, so one, Wendy's a volunteer, but these, these guys, they're, volu they're all volunteers today, but these guys actually work for the ministry, our ministry headquarters up in Eight Mile Plains. So, uh, so uh, this is Wendy, Laurel, Debbie and Bob. So I held that them afterwards. They have the forms you can fill in to uh, subscribe to Infobytes. And if you decide you don't want it at any stage, you can unsubscribe uh, just by clicking on the unsubscribe. So... Uh, you can do that while I continue talking. Well, here are heaps of other resources available, like uh, there's the uh, Creation Magazine. Who gets Creation Magazine? Quite a few people. God bless you. I uh, hope you share it around because it changes lives, Creation Magazine. And uh, Answers Book, the red book there, it um, answers over 65 questions that people have about these issues. And uh, if you get Creation Magazine, you'll have answers to the big questions that people throw at you when you try to share your faith with them. That's what it's about. And there's lots of other material as well. Now, one of the things that really helped me in uh, dealing with these issues 
as a young guy, because I went to school, university, as a Christian. I got saved at the age of 10 when I heard a street preacher. But I'd been to Sunday school, you see, the local Presbyterian church. I was sent along to Sunday school like 80% of the kids were in those days. That's a very boomy. Is that booming? Can you, is it booming? Sort of, can you sort of back up down a little bit? Yeah. You're not booming? Yeah. Um, so, um, I, and I, so I was sent to Sunday school. So I knew about God and I had no doubt God existed. I never crossed my mind that God didn't, didn't exist, but I didn't, wasn't saved. And the street preacher preached the gospel. And starting uh, the ISF group. And then, but then at, the, at the middle high school, we got hit with evolution. Asked the pastors and so on. Didn't have a clue. Uh, what to do with this. And uh, this is the first time evolution was taught in the school system in Australia. It was 1962, 63. That's when it was introduced into the general curriculum and everybody was taught it. Before that, it wasn't taught. And you can look at the graphs of the increase in atheism in Australia and the decrease in church attendance since then, and it follows that time to a T. Not the only thing, but it's a major, major factor in the demise of the interest in Christian things. So what? it wasn't until I was actually doing my postgraduate studies at the university in uh, plant biology that I actually came to grips with all this. And up until then, I just buried my head in the sand and tried not to think about it. You know what I mean? This ostrich thing. It's a bit of a myth that ostriches do that, but anyway... Yeah, uh, but you know, the sort of well, you know, what problem? I don't see any problem. No, no, there's no problem. And, and if I was pressed, I would say things like, "Well, look, look at the Lord. A day is like a thousand years. You know, they can stretch out the days in long periods of time. That fits everything. Let's talk about something else." Uh, people propose the gap theory to me. Here's a gap idea between the first couple of verses of Genesis to shove all the millions of years into the gap. God recreated things in six days of creation week, and He just left the dinosaurs out because they're a bad idea. Well, I could never see a gap. I read my Bible. In those days, it was the King James Bible. And uh, everybody had a King James Bible back then. And I read the Bible, and there was no gap. I couldn't, couldn't for life me see any gap. And I realized it didn't help anyway. Anyway, didn't know what that story was. Didn't know what the answer was. I knew Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I had all these doubts, these questions and things, and I was hobbled by this. And when it came to witnessing, it was... You know, I didn't know what I believed. You know, one of the things that really helped me was this. To realize that when people talk about science, they're normally talking about what we call operational science or experimental science. What are we talking about there? We're talking about doing experiments and testing things. That gives us incredible modern benefits. And we rightly say how wonderful science is. Science is a wonderful enterprise. So this involves observable, repeatable experiments in the present like measuring the temperature of water or the temperature of your hair today. <laughs> How do you do it? Well, this is science. But what about the idea that we know what happened in the past? You know, David Attenborough, this uh, fossil belonged to the creature that was evolving towards becoming a human being. Well, that's what he says, isn't it? That's what they say. That's what they all say. Those nature documentaries, they all say that sort of stuff. Did you see that happen? Did anybody see that happen? Anybody, can anybody do an experiment on that happening? Anybody test that? Can't have a time machine? And this is portrayed as science. But 
It's not. It's history. What's history doing in science class? It gives us authority that it doesn't otherwise deserve. No matter what you say, when anybody gets up and says, millions of years ago this happened or that happened, they're talking through their hat. They don't know. They don't know. We have a history book here, the Bible. Unlike any history book that we write, it tells the future. But it also accurately records the past. And that past is actually critical to the gospel. So just recapping here, this historical science is not observable, not repeatable. No experiments are possible on history. If you do experiments on the fossils in the present, they don't tell you the history. You get a few scraps of information and you've got to put a story together to try and explain how we got this fossil in the present. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. Science studies the repeatable. History studies the unrepeatable. Take dinosaurs, for example. Anybody, anybody interested in dinosaurs? See a few young hands raised. <laughs> Kids love dinosaurs, don't they? They absolutely love dinosaurs. Well, what story are they getting with the dinosaurs? Go to the museum, what story do they get? How God created them? No, you get an evolutionary story. They're getting indoctrinated in evolution. We need to use dinosaurs to teach kids the truth. Use them as God's missionary lizards, if you like. Have a think about this. This is a cylinder seal found in the Middle East predating Christ. When you roll it into wax, you get this pattern. What is the creature on that pattern? Do you recognize it? It's a very good representation of the type of dinosaur known as Tanistrophius. You were about to say that, weren't you? Here's a picture of Tanistrophius. <laughs> Here's a picture of Tanistrophius from JurassicParkWikia.com. I didn't draw it. I didn't get our artist to draw it. It's just as it came out. This is based on a fossil. Obviously, the cylinder seal is based on an eyewitness account. You know, there's hundreds of art forms, art things like that around the world showing that people and dinosaurs have lived together recently. They didn't die out millions of years ago. They also have scientific evidence they didn't die out millions of years ago in the sense of there's proteins and DNA in the dinosaur bones which wouldn't be there if they're millions of years old. It's a huge problem. And furthermore, that carbon date is thousands of years old. How could they be millions of years old? But we're told with great authority that this was our ancestor. This is our great, 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 millions of greats grandmother. You better put that in your family tree. This is the latest, just a few weeks ago, published as our ancestor, 30th of January 2017. What is the evidence that that is our ancestor? Well, first of all, they say, look at these finches in the Galapagos Islands that um, Charles Darwin studied. Look at the one up there on the right, top right, fine beak, good for probing into flowers, getting insects. Look at the one over on the left-hand side, their big fat beak. That's good for cracking hard seeds. And you can see as the food availability varies from season to season, some finches will do better than others. This is adaptation. This is natural selection. I don't have any problem with the story at all. But I don't believe in evolution. I don't believe that microbes became microbiologists because of this. Because you think about this, Variety in beaks doesn't even explain the origin of beaks, let alone the origin of finches that are supposed to come from dinosaurs now, the latest fashion, or 
any of the other claims about the big picture from evolution. So the, this is trickery to put this to students, that this variation in finches proves that worms became people over millions of years. Ah, but the fossils show it, don't they? That's the claim. But here, back at our dinosaurs again, and I'm sorry for the people at the back, but if you can't see the details here, but I'll explain it to you. Up the top, you have the silhouettes of the dinosaurs. You can see those, different sorts of dinosaurs. You can probably recognise T-Rex and Stegosaurus and Apatosaurus and a few of the more common ones. And down through the, the, uh, the picture, this is actually a diagram from a journal called Science, this guy was asked to do, Dr. Paul Serena was asked to do a review of the dinosaur evolution. So he's a world expert in dinosaur evolution. The dark black bars that run down through the page, down through the graph, are the fossil evidence. And then they're joined up to a common ancestor at the bottom by dashed lines and open bars. Let's colour in the dashed lines and open bars in blue and red and then erase them. Where's the evolution? Let's go back. See, I have to actually take a copy of the diagram here. So the open bars and the dashed lines are imagination, no fossil evidence. Colour them in, then erase them. There's no evolution. The fossils don't show evolution. And also, modern biology tells us evolution is impossible. It's impossible to change a worm into a human. And the reason is this. Living things are chock-a-block full of information on the DNA, a microbe. If you think about the information in the microbe, the simplest microbe that can live, you're talking about the information equivalent to a Bible written on its DNA. And it has to be able to read the information to reproduce itself and to live. So no good having a Bible in Chinese if you read English, is it? So just by chance, the code in the DNA actually is the code it can read. It has a reading system that's got to go with it and all that. This is, life is incredible, absolutely incredible. Anybody who studies biology doesn't believe in God. It's got rocks in their head. It's just, so, it's just so stark that God exists because there's a supernatural, incredible creator who made everything. But so, let's just assume that all that information just popped into existence from a chemical soup on Earth, which you could never do. And I would debate that with any evolutionist at any university, but they won't debate it because they know they get beaten. Life could not make itself. And every day, studies show it could not make itself. Life does not just pop into existence. Otherwise, your cans of soup would be dangerous. They've got all the possible ingredients for life, but you know life will not come out of that soup unless life's already in there. And you have a bulging can and you don't eat it. But how do you change a microbe into a horse? Because you've got to add stacks and stacks of books of information to make a horse compared to a microbe. In fact, humans, we have the equivalent of a thousand books of information on our DNA. You're a walking library. Where'd the information come from? They say that mutations created. They're copying mistakes. Where'd you get your information from? You got it from your parents. That's the birds and the bees. You got half from dad and half from mum, approximately. DNA information. Mistakes are made in copying the information. They're called mutations. They're like typos when you're typing on your computer. Do typos increase your information when you're typing? 
They wreck it, don't they? That's why you need spell checkers and things and even then things get through. See, mutations mess up things and that's what we'd expect too when you've got incredible complex coded information and you throw in some random changes to it, which is what mutations are, then you would expect to find red messed up. And this is what happens. This is an example of a mutant. It's a rooster with no feathers because the information for making feathers has been scrambled by a mutation. Is the rooster improved? Point of view of the chook farmer, it might be, because he doesn't have to pluck it. Point of view of the rooster, it's going to fry in summer, especially today, and freeze in the winter. Not much of improvement for us. We find over a thousand human diseases caused by mutations, things like sickle cell anemia, hemophilia, hemochromatosis, and so on. They're caused by mutations. They're wrecking us. They're not creating us. They're not making Superman. They're making X-Men. I mean, EX-Men, not, you know. Ah, they say sickle cell anemia is a beneficial mutation. You heard that idea? Sickle cell anemia is a beneficial mutation. Anemia, it's a disease. How can it be beneficial? Well, if you live in Africa where they have malaria and you have sickle cell anemia, you don't get malaria. So you're sick but you don't die from malaria. It's a bit like saying if you chop off your leg, you don't get gangrene. That's a beneficial thing. You know, if you're a smoker, chop off your legs and you won't get gangrene. You know, that's a good idea, isn't it? They have a defect which is actually beneficial to some extent. And that's what the beneficial mutations are like. They're, they're defects which happen to be beneficial under certain circumstances. You know, you'd, you're hard-pressed to find mutations, and there's one or two, but they're hard-pressed to find mutations which actually are beneficial without also being detrimental in some way. Things decay and decline. They don't get better through mutations. Sometimes they're beneficial, but it's not the point. They're not adding books of information. They're modifying existing information. In fact, the stuff being discovered inside living things is just gobsmackingly incredible. Right now inside you and me is a delivery system delivering parcels inside our cells. This is an animation of this delivery system called Carnesin. And uh, all the little walking motor thing there is called Carnesin. It's a protein, um, a couple of hundred amino acids long, and it's coded on the DNA that in the bag are proteins and the proteins are being delivered to a destination in the cell. The proteins are actually manufactured with an address label on them to say where they're to go to in the cell. And this is the, the, the postman or the delivery system delivering them, uh, the, uh, the courier delivering them inside the cell. Now, bacteria don't have this delivery system. We do. So if you're going to go from a microbe to a human, you've got to, amongst many other things, invent this delivery system. Now, remember, you've got the address labels on the proteins. You've got a packaging system to package up the proteins into the bag, and then you've got the delivery, delivery system to actually deliver them. It all has to work together, otherwise it's useless. There's no point having the, the little walkie thing called kinesin if you don't have the rest of it to go with it. And even getting the walkie thing, it's not gonna happen by some accident. Do you get the picture? In fact, this is an incredible biotechnology invented by a supreme mind. Isn't God incredible? And every day, science is revealing such things which defy the idea that accidents created us all, which is the idea of evolution. 
neither mutations nor natural selection. Natural selection like those finches in the Zuckerich Island, they don't create information needed. In fact, the only game in town for the information is mutation. It doesn't create the information needed. Natural selection just selects from what's already there. It doesn't create anything. What the evolutionists do in the schools is give kids lots of examples of natural selection and say, there you are, evolution's proven. It's trickery. It's trickery because natural selection is not evolution. Natural selection is happening today as well. If you're born with a defect and you die before you reproduce, that's natural selection. Okay, It's not creating anything. Evolution is an impossible process, science today tells us. Why is it taught in our schools? This billboard says it all. Praise Darwin, evolved beyond belief. Put up by the atheists in the United States to encourage people to believe in Darwin rather than God. In fact, you've heard of Richard Dawkins, I guess? British atheist. He said this, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. That is why if you stand up against this, you will have hellfire and water poured on your head by the academics at the university. They will call you names, just like if you stand for life or you stand against the same-sex same stuff and all that sort of same-sex marriage and stuff. You will be called names because they hate what God stands for. They hate the truth of God's word. They hate the fact that they're sinners and God is going to judge them. And so we, need, we can't be timid. We can't be timid. We've got to get out there with the gospel. You see, one of the things I didn't think about with all this, trying to marry the Bible millions of years, is what it does to the gospel. You see, the millions of years are in the rocks. They're not just some sort of abstract concept. This is what they claim, that rocks are millions of years old. In the rocks are fossils, which are remains of dead things. And those fossils have a story of pain, death, killing, disease, thorns, struggle for survival, suffering and extinction. But God said in his word, when he finished creating everything, it says he said it was very good. Everything's very good when God finished creating everything. Now you can't put millions of years after Adam and Eve. It has to be before. So every scheme has been invented to try and marry the Bible with this story of millions of years with or without evolution actually has to do this. You see, here's the Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's paradise and it's perfect. Everything's wonderful. But you have to put all the dead things under their feet. And I don't care which scheme you want. I don't the gap theory, the day age idea, the framework hypothesis, which is popular in our theological colleges today. You know, Genesis is some sort of theological framework, a polemic. It's not meant to be taken as a scientific account, etc., etc. Okay, It's not science, it's history. It's an historical account of what happened. It's the gospel is based upon it. You see, the evolutionary story is that death and suffering, struggle for survival over millions of years brought man into existence along with everything else, but the Bible says man's actions brought death into God's good world. That's why Jesus died on the cross, because the first Adam brought death. The last Adam comes to undo the death brought by the first Adam. That's why the last Adam, Jesus, comes to heal people too. Why did Jesus go around healing people? Why is there so much emphasis on healing people? Because suffering, disease came through sin at the fall of Adam. It wasn't there beforehand, but the fossil record is a record of disease and death and suffering over hundreds of millions of years if you believe their story. I don't believe their story anymore. The 
Bible tells us an account which would explain heaps of fossils and rocks and things under our feet, dead things, and it's the flood. And reading a book about Noah's flood turned my whole thinking upside down. never thought about it too much. In fact, in my mind, Noah's flood was a local flood. That's what I'd read from some of these academics. If it happened, it was a local flood or it was a tranquil flood. Anybody ever been through a flood? Can you imagine a flood being tranquil? Even a local flood. I mean, it does enormous damage, doesn't it? How could you have a global flood and have it be tranquil? It's crazy stuff. That's the sort of stuff I used to say because I was trying to marry the Bible with what I was being taught at university. See, Noah's Ark was a massive boat. It could carry 15,000 tons, they estimate. See the people for scale? It was a massive boat. What about the idea it was a local flood and Noah built this boat to escape a local flood? How does that work? It doesn't. He could have emigrated. <coughs> he didn't need to build a boat like that. See, and if it was a global flood like the Bible talks about, there'd be lots of evidence for it. Because if you think about it, and you can model this, if it was a global flood, there'd be water flowing at over 100 kilometres an hour in parts of the world. In other parts, it'd be much calmer, less, less calmer. But 100 kilometres an hour plus, what would the water do? It would change rock into mud in quick fashion and then when it's deposited if you happen to be a fish where all that mud's being deposited you could end up like this preserved as a fossil in the middle of lunch <coughs> how do fossils form? they have to be buried in mud the real world is fossils don't form just by dying they have to be buried otherwise they get eaten by something else they break down and there's massive graveyards of fossils all around the world. This is a, a dinosaur national monument in Utah in the United States. Uh, dinosaurs and sea creatures buried together. This is in Creation Magazine. And all around the world we see these fossil graveyards, evidence of a global catastrophe of Noah's flood. And we find the rock layers themselves speak of this catastrophe. This is the Grand Canyon and this pale layer near the top here is called the Coconino Sandstone. It's over in extent 500,000 square kilometres in area and 100 metres thick on average and there are sand dune structures in it which show it was laid down under deep, fast-flowing water in a matter of days. There are layers like that all around the world showing there's massive global flooding created these things. Down layer after layer in the Grand Canyon indicates the same evidence of rapid formation of these layers. In fact, I can show you that the whole lot was laid down very quickly. This is uh, uh, called the Kaibar Upwarp. It, it go east to where we just looked at that picture then, and you see the people there for scale, and you can see there's the layers going from horizontal to vertical just in a few metres. And all the layers are bent like this. How do you bend hard rock? You don't. Hard rock fractures and cracks. It has to be soft. That means all this material was laid down and bent before it could become hard. You know what that does to the evolutionary story? Here's the evolutionary story. It took 300 million years to lay down the layers, and it was another 180 million years later before the bending occurred. Now, this observation alone blows away 480 million years of evolutionary time, and there are observations like that all around the world which say there is something fundamentally wrong with this story. Where did the millions of years come from? 
They came about because they needed millions of years to make it believable that things could make themselves. See, if we have thousands of years, obviously nobody sees an ape changing into a human, do they? Not recorded. Nobody's seen that happen. So it must have taken millions of years and we weren't there to see it. And the more millions of years you give it, the more believable it seems. And so the millions of years have stretched and stretched and stretched out to billions of years. Can you imagine a million years? You can't. That's just an enormous amount of time. A billion years is just out there. There's so much evidence that it doesn't follow. The Bible time frame actually stacks up. This canyon system was carved out by a mud flood, Mount St. Helens volcano, in less than a day. March 19, 1982. People saw it happen. Think about the canyons around the world. Think about the landforms. Water coming off the land at the end of the flooding sheets would have created flat surfaces, plateaus. And that's what you see the Blue Mountains west of Sydney. You see Mises out, you go out west of Toowoomba. You see plateaus in the uh, Lemington Plateau, now south of us here. Uh, plateaus formed by this sheet movement of the water at the end of the flood. And then as the water had to channel as coming down to the level of the land, um, it, it wears a bit of dip in the land, it would start to flow into the dip. And remember, it's carrying a lot of sediment and the material is soft and it erodes it very quickly and you have the valleys eroded by this process at the end of the flood. When you get this in your head, you see evidence of the flood wherever you go in the world. It's everywhere. And it's a huge enigma, a huge problem for the millions of years evolutionary story. Folks, as Christians, we believe in a creator. But the actual history of creation is important. God gave law. We break his law. That's sin. God's going to judge us for our sin. He sent a saviour, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin. What if, what if people don't believe in a creator? Half of kids in middle high school say they're atheists. They don't believe in a creator. What about that? No creator, the rest of it. This is what we're up against today when we're sharing our faith with people. They say, oh, I don't believe the Bible, it's a lot of rock. Science has disproved the Bible. What do they mean? We're talking about what we're talking about here. Southern Baptists in the United States research, they say 88% of young people at age 18 leave the church never to return. Anybody know young people who have left and gone to university and they've lost interest and disappeared? I see a lot of heads nodding. Maybe your own kids. What about your grandchildren? What's happening to them? What are they being taught? This guy here is an evangelist, street evangelist. He said, I'm an evangelist. I go around and talk to people, one-on-one -on -one conversations. In my time, talk to high schoolers. The number one answer I get for not being a god is that they don't have to believe is evolution. It's the number one go-to for unbelief. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came and they had life and have it abundantly. The thief, Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. Today, he's stealing and killing and destroying is this doctrine of evolution in our schools and permeating our nation and undermining everything and the atheism and secularism that's coming with it. But the Bible tells us what are we to do about this? Things that oppose God, we should oppose them. In fact, it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always prepare to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. 
journalist in respect. And you say, well, how can I get started? You can get started with Creation Magazine, for example. Creation comes out four times a year. It's uh, uh, life-changing. Just a couple of examples. Uh, this guy here, he says, uh, I was converted when someone gave me a Creation Magazine. And I've subscribed to five of my relatives. Four of them have now come to the Lord. How would you like an 80% hit rate? dealing with these issues, of uh, obstacles to faith. Uh, you guys make evangelism easy. I just give a creation magazine to somebody and then the next time I see them, we talk about it. You'll open up conversations to people who would not talk to you about these things. Just the other day, we had a call from an 89-year-old guy and he said that just a couple of years ago, he was at a, at a function and uh, a young lady had said, I don't believe the Bible. Science has disproven the Bible. And he said, just from what he'd read in Creation magazine, he spent an hour talking to her with several other young people listening on, all of whom had been involved in church as young people, which is unusual today, but this must be in the family context, but all of them had dropped out and lost interest through their education or miseducation. So he had an hour with them, and at the hour, they, after the time she agreed, that what she'd been taught was wrong and the Bible was actually true, went back to church, as did several of the other young people who had dropped out, and they're still there. Just through reading Creation magazine, he was equipped to deal with those objections they had, you know. He's not an expert, he's not a PhD scientist, just read Creation magazine. But you can get Creation magazine and do that yourself. Get involved, share it around. And uh, so you can sign up for it. There's a form that looks like this. And uh, put your details there and so we can post it to it. Your phone number, so if we can't read anything else, we might be able to read your phone number and give you a call. <laughs> now, here's the thing. With the magazine, the printed magazine, you also get access to a digital magazine. You can just read it on one of these. Or even your phone if you're desperate. But you can read it on a computer. And uh, so that's included, and you can share that with five people. So here, this is, you get the magazine, you can share the thing with five people, and different people each time. So you tick what box you want there, and uh, it's uh, what, four issues a year, or uh, it's, I tick the three-year box there, because there's a little bonus if you get a three-year subscription, and then tick the other box on the other side there, and then you can tear that off, just like that. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Let's do it again. And go to see you guys out on the table out there and pay for it and you get a back issue of the magazine for a one-year subscription but for a three-year subscription you get a back issue plus you get a DVD. So you choose a $15 DVD. It's normally $15 you get for free today. So you do that. So thanks guys. You can quickly distribute those. I mentioned a couple of other things and close off. Free, free stuff. There's free brochures out there. These are designed to give away, designed to help you as well. But there's one there. Uh, can you tell the difference between natural selection, natural selection and evolution? That's a great one for high school kids to understand that natural selection is not evolution. If you're not a Christian, I'll give you a copy of this book here, Stones and Bones, by uh, Dr. Carl Whelan. It's, it's good evidence for creation, why evolution doesn't work, and the gospel. And uh, so if you're not a Christian, come and see me. It's free. Okay? If you're a Christian, not a Christian, it's free. If you're a Christian, you can pay for it. There's books like the Answers book, answers over 65 questions that people have. You know, the question people have about carbon dating, they say, oh, carbon dating proves things are millions of years old. Does it? 
Actually, if they say that, they don't know anything about it because carbon dating can't work on things that are millions of years old. In fact, um, carbon dating is good evidence against their millions of years. And the reason is this, that anything older than 50,000 years should have no measurable carbon-14. But here's the rub. Almost every bit of organic material has measurable carbon-14. Dinosaurs supposed to be 65 million years old plus carbon-14 in every bit of dinosaur bone. Coal, up to 300 million years old, has carbon-14 in it. Diamonds, which are supposed to be billions of years old, have carbon-14 in them. It's a fundamental problem for their story, along with many other evidences like that. So this is powerful evidence against their millions and billions of years. Now, there are other techniques that they get billions of years, but that contradicts the carbon dates. Why do they believe one and not the other? That's very choosy, isn't it? And it suits their story. See, it's storytelling about the past. Very clever storytelling. And this deals with this. Evolution of Achilles' Heels, a great documentary, an hour and a half, eight chapters. You can actually do this with your home groups, cell groups, wife groups, whatever you call them here. And you have, have that. And you can do it. And there's a study guide to go with it. And it's just 10 or 15 minutes on the DVD and do the study guide. And you can really get equipped. So the Evolution of Achilles Heels, a really high quality documentary. And there's a book to go with it, which fills in a lot with these. This is 15 PhD scientists involved in the documentary. So that's available out there. Evolution, the Genesis account by Dr. Jonathan Safady, 800-page commentary on Genesis like nothing you've seen. It deals with the science. It deals with the archaeology. It deals with the theology. It deals with the history. And it's a wonderful uh, book. There's children's materials like this one, Exploring Geology with Mr. Hibb, and so on. There's lots of resources out there. And there's more available also uh, online. And, well, we're just up the road in Eight Mile Plains. You come and visit us, us in our bookshop. I just want to finish by saying... The Bible says the last Adam brings life because the first Adam brought death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the New Testament. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We die in Adam. We're all descendants of Adam. We all deserve to die because we've all sinned as well. But Jesus came as the last Adam to undo the work of the first Adam. In other words, the good news of salvation depends on the bad news of the origin of sin and death in Genesis. If Genesis is just some sort of myth, it didn't really happen, then there's no need for Jesus to die on the cross. The gospel is undermined at that very point. And so the New Testament also talks about the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. God didn't create it groaning and suffering. It became that way because of sin, because of the original rebellion. The creation itself we set free from its slavery to corruption, it says in the verse before that. Slavery, we set free from its slavery to corruption. See, Jesus came to do three things. Overcome death, overcome sickness, and to restore the whole creation to the glory it had in the beginning. So there's going to be a new heavens, a new earth, where righteousness dwells, and there'll be no more death and suffering and disease. A new heavens, a new earth. Is that something to look forward to? As you get older, you look forward to it more. No more aches and pains, no more sickness, no more disease. A few people nodding. Come, Lord Jesus, bring a new heavens and new earth where righteousness reigns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus, that he came, that he died for us, that we need not suffer the penalty of death for our sins for eternity. And Lord, that you, he took the punishment that we deserved on the cross, that we need not suffer for our sins. 
Uh, Lord, I just thank you for your goodness to us in him. Without him, we would be lost for eternity. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless those who are here this morning, strengthen the arm of those who love you, to share their faith with those who are perishing. And any here who don't know Jesus, even today, Lord, may they bow their knee before him and acknowledge their need of forgiveness and receive that forgiveness and enter into that abundant life that's only available through him, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Don. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So there's a whole bunch of stuff out in the foyer for there. and uh, But let me just say this as well. If uh, through that, there's a point where you're going, you know what? I need Jesus this morning. I need Jesus, actually. I, there is death in the world, and I, I need to find him. Why don't you come and let us know? And uh, we'll, we'll introduce you to him today. But, you know, as we go this week, why don't you go with that message that we have a responsibility to the world to just speak life, and to bring life in. The kingdom of heaven's inside you. You have the source of life inside you just to take it out and to let it go right around in every area. Father, we're just grateful for you. Lord, and as we go this week, Lord, we just want to bring that life that you have and that has come in Jesus. And Lord, is now alive in us, Lord. And we just, just release that and we just commit ourselves to your purpose.